I tried several other ways that night to kill myself and just found myself on the cold asphalt, um, just feeling the presence of God, just saying, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you and just Mm. felt his presence and his peace. And I can't even, I can't put it into words because it was almost like he picked me up from that cold asphalt and, and just carried me the next few days. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Nikolenko, and I started this show after finally finding my home in Christ. I grew up in a home with lots of abuse and addiction where Christianity became something that repelled me. I spent my early adulthood seeking God in other religions, tarot cards, psychedelics, and even myself. I didn't realize how much hell I had pulled up into my life until I came face to face with the dark side and Jesus fought hard to save me. Now I live to serve his will and host a platform where others can share their story too. If you're looking for a show that talks about real things and provides encouragement for those who have been to the dark side and back, then this is the show for you. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share this show with anybody else who might be encouraged by it too. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed family. So good morning, everybody. Today we are talking to Angela Williams. She is an author, speaker, and founder of Angela's Voice, where she is an advocate for sexually abused children. She's been on so many shows, uh, from The 700 Club uh, to The Christian View, Daytime NBC, and just so many more. Um, And so we're very honored to have her here as a guest today to just share a little bit about her story, what ignited this passion for being an advocate for these children, um, and then the resources that she's created uh, to continue to teach people um, and help these people who have went through this kind of trauma continue to heal. So thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, Michaela, it's an honor. Thank you. Yes, I'm very, I'm very excited. We also, we just had um, a detective on, a retired detective, uh, two episodes ago. And she specializes in human sex trafficking. So um, this ties in perfectly with just the theme we've been talking about. We have a lot of ex-sex workers on the show as well. And there's something I heard from one of your one of your interviews where you talked about how uh, these children who go through this, this sexu- this childhood sexual abuse, are much more likely to be the ones who grow up and get lured into a sex work and then b, uh, human sex trafficking. So it's yeah, it's a, it, it's a gateway, especially if people don't learn how to heal. So I love that you're providing resources um, to help people heal and give them a voice for this. Yes. Would you mind just starting us, just telling us a little bit about your story and how you got passionate about this line of work? Well, I'm a survivor. Um, I found myself uh, just a broken uh, a young teenage girl uh, on the top of a bridge uh, looking down at cold water and not having the courage to let go and jump and not having the courage to hold on. Um, I suffered from age three to 17 uh, from child emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. And the abuse was brutal. I don't think people really understand what happens behind closed doors and what children suffer. Um, But I suffered at the hands of my stepfather. And um, the physical was very obvious because I walked around with a lot of bruises and, um, you know, belt um, 
scars on my legs and uh, neighbors could hear yelling and screaming and witness, you know, when we were outside and extended family uh, saw that I was being abused, but no one stepped in to help. And from Mm -hmm. teachers to pediatricians to, and that's kind of what broke my heart as an adult looking back. It's like, there was no safe person. Uh, My mother was in a, in a abusive marriage. So Mm -hmm. she herself was abused and really couldn't protect herself. So she couldn't protect me. So as a, as my first suicide attempt was extremely serious, I took 64 sleeping pills and drank a half a bottle of vodka. And I just, I broke that day. I didn't, I knew I was not going to be raped again. I knew it it, it was, I, I just wanted to end my life. I just wanted to get out of it. And I thought I had no I thought I had no options. Um, So in that desperate attempt to just flee the abuse, um, I tried to take my life and praise God. He spared my life. And I know it was a miracle from God. Mm -hmm. I know those sleeping pills um, fell on an empty stomach. I hadn't eaten all day. And so I began to vomit. And when I woke up, Mm -hmm. I was so hysterical because I knew I couldn't go home. And I had stolen the family car and I had written my mom's check for the, back then we wrote checks (laughs) for the, for the sleeping pills and just knew I was in real trouble, like even more trouble. And, um, so I, I tried several other ways that night to kill myself and just found myself on the cold asphalt, um, just feeling the presence of God, just saying, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you and Mm. just felt his presence and his peace. And I can't even, I can't put it into words because it was almost like he picked me up from that cold asphalt and, and just carried me the next few days because they're really a blur. Um, but I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. But as a young woman, a young adult, there weren't really good resources. I think our society thinks that everyone has access to mental health care. And I mm. think that they really don't understand this issue and this trauma. So they expect you to go behind closed doors an hour a week with a therapist and heal from this. And so I really was grappling with finding good resources to try to heal and try to be a good wife and a good mother and didn't really find that they existed. So that's when God just really put in my heart that you're going to do this one day. And it took a long time. I didn't start the work till I was in my forties and I'm good now. So I've been at it about 20 years plus. Wow. I did some work early on in my uh, in my late twenties and early thirties. I did some advocacy. I worked with some advocacy centers and did some volunteer work, but really got serious about it when I turned forty and started writing and started really advocating okay. on a public stage. Wow! So that gives me so much hope uh, because I look at what you're doing and I'm so inspired by it. And I'm like, oh my gosh! Like I hope I can do even just a fraction of um, some of the amazing things that you're doing. So I'm like, okay, she got started when she was in her 40s. Okay, I have I have some time. <laughs> Plenty of time. You can do whatever call God calls you to do. He equips you. That's so true. It's something I love too. I just shared this Facebook post. I think it was like two days ago, um, and it was one of those you know inspirational quotes, and it said. Um, let the things that break your heart uh, be what humbles it, not hardens it. And it Mm -hmm. seems like, yeah, it seems like this is what happened for you because so many people that this does, these sort of things happen to, it hardens their hearts and it brings them away from God. Um, So I love that, um, you know, he used it to soften your heart and bring you closer to him. And also it's crazy how he spoke to you with his word. It was a scripture that you heard. So this leads me to ask the question, did you grow up with any kind of uh, church upbringing or teaching of God? 
I did. My grandmother was a very, very faithful Christian woman, and um, we were we were introduced to the church. It just wasn't consistent. We weren't mm-hmm. uh, a church going family, but we did go um, sporadically. And I got to go to vacation Bible school, and mm-hmm. I got to hear the word from my grandmother. So, um, but and I just loved to curl up in front of the TV and watch Old Roberts and watch Billy Graham and just some <laughs> greats. And my heart was always just drawn to those. They were every Sunday, you know, and then they used to air the revivals, the Old Roberts revivals. And so I can just remember as a little girl, just mm. really being drawn to God's word and, and his presence and his peace. And I think that's really what sustained me through all the horrific abuse that I suffered. Yeah. And you were saying um, a minute ago that um, the, the softening of my heart and my heart not being hard. And I think that's one reason that I do this work, because there's so many um, suffering survivors of child sexual abuse that just suffer in silence. And they feel like they have no nowhere to go, no, no one to tell it to. Um, so I feel like if I stand up on stage and I begin to tell my story, they're like, oh, finally, somebody would understand um, yes. what I've been through. So um, I think we need to have more survivors healed because we are so trauma informed of what this looks like to try to reach back and and help others. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Quick announcement here. If you're enjoying this episode, please help us expand our reach by liking, subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing it with a friend. And now back to the episode. I love that so much. Um, I It was from one of your interviews that I heard you say, how to respond if a child does come to you. Well, you have so many amazing statistics to share too. And that's the fact that what is it? Only one in 10 survivors. Yeah. Ever even tell. Um, So it's not likely that a child is going to come to you and say this. Um, So I have a couple questions on that. But one of the first things that you said how to respond to them is by saying, I believe you. And this is, this was not your fault. Exactly. Um, so often, uh, I think a parent doesn't, or a caregiver or a teacher, they don't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. And they're so freaked out by the subject and by the issue that they probably have never talked about or discussed with a child. So when a disclosure is going on, you need to be so cautious that this is evidence in your hand, and you've got to be very careful um, to really use reflective listening. So what you would do yeah. is just repeat what the child said and say, tell me more. Okay. So that you're not tainting um, what they're telling you and you're not trying to shut them down. You're not trying to quiet them. Um, 93% of the time it's someone you know, love and trust. 
So mm-hmm. obviously your, your mind is how in the world could this person have ever done this? There must be some kind of mistake. My child must have misunderstood. I mean, yeah. you're devastated. Um, so it's a disclosure is so important. Um, and it's important at any age. Honestly, I've taken disclosures from 80 year old women, 75 year old men that have never told anybody. And for them to hear that, I believe you, and this was not your fault and how horrible it is for you had had to carry the secret for 75 years is, is so horrific. Mm. So at any age, um, just that compassion and that comfort and yeah. not shutting the child down, because if you shut them down, they may never speak again. I was shut down um, probably around eight or nine. I was in the fourth grade. Was that nine, nine, ten-ish? I went to a teacher and told a teacher I had been raped and um, she shut me down and um, said, you know, we don't say that word in class. And they brought my parents in and my parents said, oh, she's just a drama queen. She just lies a lot. And um, she probably got that word off a soap opera, they told her. So of course, when I got home, I was brutally beaten for trying to disclose or trying to tell. My stepfather always said that if I ever told, he would kill my mother. Mm. So I lived with that fear of trying to protect my mother, trying to protect siblings. So I kept that secret close to my close to my best for a very, very long time. Yeah, I think you said years. Yeah. Didn't you say the average age of disclosure is like in their fifties that people will finally finally have courage? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And then the, the two things that keep people from um, sharing is like you said, that fear and that shame. Um, I never went through sexual abuse, but I went through a lot of physical and emotional abuse from, from my father. And I remember the same thing. It's okay. I mean, it, it humbled my heart too, you know? So um, I remember telling my friends, my friends' parents, people at school, and my grandparents, my extended family knew. So many people knew. And like you said, as you get older and you look back on it, a part of you wonders, like, how could nobody have done something? Um, not that I would even know what anybody could really do, but I had so much fear I didn't carry as much shame from being abused because it was very just like one-sided of physical abuse. Um, but yeah, looking back, I uh, I don't know. It's hard to know what adults are supposed to do. So what is this, what is this car method that you talk about and how uh, people are supposed to respond? So um, first of all, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. As a little girl, like no one, no one deserves to to be physically abused. And I know that it probably just triggering sometimes you don't feel safe now mm. because of what happened. But what sh- someone should have done is, is really um, interceded in that. Mm. Um, obviously your father needed help. He had anger issues. Yeah. So there could have been a number of ways that um, a family member could have uh, interceded and say, and say, this isn't right. You know, mm-hmm. this, is, this is a crime. You can't abuse your child and yes. you need help. Um, and so there were a number of ways that so people failed you in that area. You know, but, it's crazy. Uh, Even the cops came to our house before and my mom sent the cops. And I remember the cop asking me if everything was OK. But my dad's hand is on my shoulder as he's standing right behind me. And so I'm like, yes, everything, everything's fine. So you just feel so helpless. You feel so alone in this. Um, so I can see why you got to the point you did when you were 17 and thinking the only way out is is, you know, suicide. I understand that. 
you're, you're just trapped in the fear. So really, when you're taking a disclosure from a child, you need to remain calm. That's the C. Mm-hmm. Um, because the child is looking at your response. And if you begin to panic or cry or scream, then they're going to think they've done something wrong or something mm-hmm. there is their fault. Um, and then you need to just um, ask them what has happened and let them know that you're a safe person to tell. And then use that reflective listening that I talked about, where you repeat what they said and say, tell me more, because you just want mm-hmm. to keep them talking and try to write down everything they say verbatim, okay. even with stutter words, just whatever they say, just write it down, just say. And that way, when you go to a child, when you call law enforcement and you start that process, then you have documentation of exactly mm-hmm. what they said. Okay, that's good. And, and then, yeah, you could turn on your phone, you know, we've got such technology now and just record the conversation. And like you said, the second part is going to law enforcement, you know, with that information that you get from them. And that's where it really fall. That's where people really fail because it is generally someone they know, love and trust, maybe someone in the family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so their thought is, oh, my goodness, I am about to report on a family member or a close friend. and. What if my child is mistaken and the harm that it's going to cost their life? So they mm. really weigh the adult's life versus the child's life. And that's that's sad. It's just I don't have another word for it other than it's just an atrocity. It's so sad. Yeah. No, that's so true. I think a lot of the people that I told that were adults, um, I lived in a very small town, and so everybody knew my dad and knew what he was capable of. So I feel like a lot of times people were were quiet and didn't go to the authorities because of fear of retaliation, maybe on their end. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of people were afraid of my stepfather also. Okay. Did you grow up in a small town? I did. It's right outside of Savannah. Is if you ever read my book, I just changed the location and the names of the people in the book book. So uh, okay. that's my book is, is placed in Alabama, but I, I grew up right outside of Savannah. Yes. Ah, okay. I'm so inspired by that because I'm writing my first memoir and I'm trying to figure out the most correct way to do it. Yeah. So you changed yeah. the cities as well. I changed the city. I changed the, yes. Um, the story is true, mm-hmm. uh, but the names of the people and the places are not. Okay. Okay, and if I had it to do again, I probably would have just written it truthfully, honestly. Yeah. Um, but there's so much, so many people are litigious and you just don't know what to do. And you certainly don't. I didn't want to hurt people in my life. But yeah. now I've become such a public figure. It's like, you yeah. know, when you're on CNN and you're on 700 Club, it's like it's out. Cats out of the bag. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty easy to figure out who you're talking about. <laughs> Right. I can't put it back in, but it's all good. It's for, it's for, um, I think a cause that is, is needed, so needed. And if it takes my story, if it takes, you know, people being angry and people being hurt, um, if it saves one person, then it's worth it. And I'm sorry. Um, it's never, that's never been my intention at all to hurt anybody. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously. And 6-1 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, something that you talk a lot about is the process of healing and how in order to start to do that, you have to share your story. Um, your silence because the, the secrets make you sick. Yeah. So how did you first begin to share and heal? And what is sort of your advice on that for others? Oh, it's been such a long journey. It's, you know, the healing is like, I say, peeling back the layers of onion. You, mm-hmm. you think you healed and oh my goodness, here comes another layer. Uh, so I've been on this journey for about 40 years. So it's, I, I would say my faith has been the greatest um, impetus to my healing, just trusting God with the pain and, and being okay to not be okay. Mm. You know, I think we all want to have it all together all the time. But if you're a mess, you, sometimes you got to have a breakdown to have a breakthrough. Mm. So um, I think to get to that maturity, to really allow myself to grieve, to grieve my childhood, to grieve lost relationships, to grieve what happened to that little girl and really allow her an opportunity to heal in safety because I never really felt safe mm-hmm. and to really, uh, you know, analyze myself and understand, um, you know, my response mechanisms and how they were triggered and why they were triggered and just kind of dissect and really become the woman and the mother and the wife that I wanted to be. So it's been very much a journey, but I would say, number one, my faith. I would say, number two, um, I took a courageous step uh, back in 1993, and I wrote an editorial to the Atlanta Journal and Constitution, and I never thought they would publish it. I just, I, you know, back then, the subject was a thousand more times stigmatized and taboo, but they published yeah. it. Wow. So here I was in the, you know, the Atlanta Journal with my first article, and I kind of just like, okay, I guess I broke my silence. Like, it's yeah. out there. <laughs> And then God just laid on my heart um, as I was going through my healing. I've always journaled. I journaled my whole life. So I just started writing. And Mm. and and writing just became my memoir, From Sorrows to Sapphires. Um, So that was my first book about letting the little girl tell the story. And Mm. I I did it in such a creative way that was God-inspired. I um, was in intensive therapy at Charter Peachford. And my therapist said, you've got to learn how to be by yourself and how to like yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. because I always busied myself. It's like I I overworked and I was super mom and super wife. And I just, I filled myself with so much that I didn't give myself space and time. And that's another advice I would have to give yourself the space and the time that you need to heal. And it might happen overnight. It might be 40 years like it was for me. Um, But Give yourself that space and time. So um, she said, you need to go away. So I booked a whitewater rafting trip and I had never been whitewater rafting. So I booked a class five thinking it was a scale of one to 10, but a class five was the most severe rapid you could go down. Oh my so, gosh. so my book starts on this whitewater rafting trip where I'm terrified. So once again, I'm in a place of fear. Oh. And as I am rolling down the river on this raft, uh, the little girl goes back in time and she begins to tell the story. So you hear both voices. You hear my present struggling to get down this river and then you Ooh. hear the little girl struggling to get through her day. Oh so, my gosh. That's so creative. Well. It was God. It was just, when I finished the book, people are like, how in the world? And I was like, God just really inspired that. So, wow. um, so I 
take you to the place. I try not to be graphic in the book, but I take you to the place where you can't breathe. Uh, the little girl can't really breathe and you can't breathe for her. And then I take you back to the river where it's kind of really, really comical that, you know, <laughs> this 40 year old woman's trying to make it down this rapid. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think it was 35, but yeah. I need to read that. That sounds so good. Oh, wow. This is from, sorry, it's just Sapphires. This was my first book. Okay, beautiful. And you wrote that one, you said, in your 40s. Uh, actually, I was in my, I, I started it. It took me a long time to publish it. I actually published it when I was uh, 40, a little after 40. Um, but I started writing it around 35. Okay, I relate to that. I've been working on mine a couple years. I'm like, I'll probably still be working on it for another five, to be honest. You no, know, it's not It's not ready to God says it's ready. So don't rush it because yeah. you know, once you put it out there, it, once it's published, you go through all the work of editing it and you know, it, you just don't want to touch it again. So yeah. um, I think, and, and honestly, it's so cathartic to write a book because yeah. I don't have to visit those memories anymore. Like if you know how kind of the reel in our mind, the, the videotape keeps playing, writing a book is that eject button. Because if I ever mm. want to visit what the little girl went through, I just have to pick up this book. It's all in here. Wow. So, yeah, that's so, it's very so good. I was yeah. telling my husband that, and that's actually why I had to take a couple year break after I first started. I wrote the first draft, and then I didn't look at that thing for a while. And I was like, you know, it was such a therapeutic process to write everything down. And I don't know that right now the book itself honors God just because I was just kind of get getting everything out there. I was like, so I'm going to come back and rewrite it and keep learning how to honor God and telling the story. Um, but yeah. you're so right. Like getting it out there is such a therapeutic process. Mm -hmm. And I never thought about that. It's like hitting the eject button so you don't have to keep living those memories because yeah. now you got it out there. There's more room on the outside than there is on the inside. I tell people that all the time. Mm. So you don't have to keep it all stuffed down inside. You can let it out. But it took me about five years to write the book and get it published. So just okay. give yourself the time and space. <laughs> You'll hear me say that a lot. But yeah. I think we all want to rush and we all have this timeline. There's no timeline. Amen. And so, okay, so this was a big part of your healing. Um and then when you met your husband, were you still, you know, you said you're still kind of going through this healing journey. So how did that look like within your marriage? So he is the third um, impetus to my healing, um, the facilitator to my healing, his love, his compassion, his um, just care and concern and kindness. And um, he just wrapped me up and, and too gave me the space that I needed to heal. He's he's my Prince Charming. We've been married <laughs> for years and I love him to pieces. But Aww. Uh, it, it, you know, when he married, when he met me, he knew there was a lot of pain inside. I mean, I was distant from my family. I worked three jobs. I was going to college full time. I really had a hard life. So he could tell immediately that there was dysfunction written all over my face. Yeah. Um, but he just fell in love with me. Um, and it was just such a pure, sweet love. It was, it started as a friendship and that friendship grew. Okay. And to the point where I started running from him and from, because I was like, you need a nice girl. I, I'm a mess. Like, you do not need any of this. Like, yep. you need to go find a really nice girl that's going to make you happy and going to be your little Martha oh Stewart. Yeah. I'm a hot mess. Like, I'm a hot mess. <laughs> so I convinced him for us to just be friends. Like, we can be friends, but I'm no more than that. And so I'll help you find a good girl. So I was trying to set him up, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, he danced with other girls and I danced with other guys. And I just remember um, we were together at a, uh, a sorority party college and there was a bonfire. 
And that song came on, um, uh, Angie, what you gonna do? I think I'm in love with you. I can't sing, but anyway, okay, he, wrapped okay. arms, he wrapped his arms around me cause it was cold and he just started singing that in my ear. And I was like, Oh Lord, Oh Lord, Oh Lord. <laughs> oh no. And so he walked me back to my dorm and he said, I, I didn't mean to, but I fell in love with you. Wow. Boom. Walked away. <laughs> I walked inside crying. I was like, no, oh, wow. he, can't help. he can't fall in love with me. So um, he just melted my heart and um, I can't say it's been easy, but um, he, he let me disclose the abuse in my own time and tell mm-hmm. him in my own time how horrible it was. And it hurt his heart, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it's just been such a beautiful, a beautiful love romance, romance story that I've lived oh. because I've really seen, you know, you say the Christ loves the church like his bride. And that's how my husband has loved me and the good, the bad mm-hmm. and the ugly. Oh my and, gosh. And, that's yeah. amazing. And that's, that's my wish for all of these, you know, especially girls, but guys too, who have gone through something so horrific is that they would grow up and, you know, a first come to find Jesus's love and just the fullness of that, but then B, have a spouse who's just completely unlike, um, you know, the traumatic parent or whoever else that they experience this trauma from, because I totally get that. My husband is a complete opposite of my dad. He's a total sweetheart. I tried to, you know, I tried to run from him too in a similar way of like, oh my gosh, you just, you need a nice girl who hasn't been through all this stuff. So I I can relate to that. So often it's the opposite. So often um, survivors of abuse, they run to the abuse of another Mm -hmm. abuser. Yeah. Breaking that cycle was real important to me in my life. Um, Just breaking that cycle off and not repeat that cycle for for my children and my next generation. This episode is brought to you by Raised and Redeemed Merch. We all love a good crew neck, high top sock, and oversized t-shirt, am I right? Head over to the show notes from wherever you're listening to order yours and support the show today. I wasn't a perfect parent, but I got two great kids. One's an OBGYN. Uh, doctor and the others a police officer. So, oh wow, queen a girl. Oh, that's amazing. No, that's such a good point that you mentioned. I know I heard you talk about this in one of your interviews. How you did go through, um, you, you know, the addiction and the broken relationships and this kind of like void filling for a while. Um, so, you know, I did the same thing and I went through abusive relationships, not to the extent that my my dad was, but people, guys who treated me very poorly. And then I got so fed up of that, found Jesus and was like, okay, I need to find a man that's more like Jesus than more like my dad. And that's how I found my husband finally. Amen. Yes. Um, So I don't know if you want to talk about identifying the symptoms, because we did just kind of briefly mention that, um, you know, i.e. the symptoms of somebody who's grown up, who we talked a little in the beginning, a lot of times, you know, children who experience this, they're the ones that are lured into sex work or sex trafficking. That's a way to identify it. Um, The addiction, the kind of void filling. Um, But if you want to go, you know, even younger too, to talk about those symptoms early on. 
So I'll do three things for you. I'll kind of tell you how I, I was actually lured into trafficking and thank God I was able to escape, to get out. Oh, wow. I'll tell you that story and then we'll start with children and what we need to look for in a child and then we can uh, talk about what we need to look for in an adult. We have time to okay. do all three? Uh, yes. Yes, we do. Real quickly. Um, so after I tried to commit suicide, I moved in with a friend and obviously had no money, homeless penniless. Um, and so I had to, it didn't even have a car. So I tried to get a job and I tried to get a job waiting tables and I was 17. So I had to be 18 to serve alcohol. So I was outside of a restaurant sitting on these stone steps, just crying because I, I couldn't get a job. I had gone up and down the street trying to find a job and I, and I wasn't quite, what was I qualified for, you know, waiting tables. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I thought. But um, sitting there crying, a Corvette drove up, and it was about a 45-year-old man, and he told me to get in. Oh, my gosh. You know, being so stupid and so isolated growing up, we were isolated kind of from the world, just that power play that the abuser has. They have all power and control over you. Yep. So, of course, I got in the car and um, immediately, you know, hey, how are you? You know, I'm Randy. I, I can make all your troubles go away. Why are you mm -hmm. crying? And, and it's like, I need money. I'm homeless. I'm and he's like, oh, no, I can help you with that. So he took me to his apartment. Um, you know, of course, I, I was trained that you have sex. So uh, yep. immediately that relationship started. And then he had me what I believe, and I was so stupid, but he had me deliver these little matchboxes to bars up and down River Street. And unbeknownst to me, I was probably um, delivering cocaine mm. um, uh, in the matchboxes. And so uh, he, one day, this has gone on for, I don't know, a couple of weeks, he, and he bought me stuff and fed me and, you know, I would go, I was living with a family, so I'd kind of show up there and then I'd go back to his apartment. And, um, so one day he said, I've got a friend coming over and you need to be really nice to him. He's really had a bad day, a bad time of it. I want you to be really nice to him. I'm going to leave and he's going to be here in a few minutes. And so I waited there and kind of thought, okay, be really nice to him. I know what's going to happen. Ugh. And here I had just felt so much shame and just felt so dirty. It's like uh, I went from, you know, the abuse to this and just, just so disgusted with myself. Yeah. So I sat there and the phone rang and I answered it and hi, who's this? Um, I said, this is Angie. I'm Randy's girlfriend. And the other end of the phone said, well, I'm Randy's wife and I'm pregnant. And oh, so I was gosh. like, Okay. And I was like, okay, I hung up the phone immediately. And I was like, I just got to get out of here. I just got to go. I got to get out of here. So I left. And had I not left, you could kind of see where that was going. I was yes. going down to trafficking, you know, and I was 17 and um, very attractive at the time. And so, Gosh. so yeah, so that, you know, most survivors are so desperate and been so conditioned to sex. That's what you do, you know? Yes. Um, wow. And they do it to survive, you know? for to eat to have yeah. a roof over so um for children what we want to look at is a distinct change in behavior that you cannot explain and oftentimes it is dismissed as uh, behavior problems or it's dismissed as adhd or it's dismissed as puberty mm. there are a lot of reasons it's dismissed but you need to consider child sexual abuse okay. if there is a distinct change of behavior then you want to look at, you know, children who wet the bed, children who have nightmares, children who are doing poorly in school, um, children who are self-harming. Oftentimes survivors will cut 
Um, they will burn, they will pull their hair. Mm-hmm. So any type of self-harm behaviors, all these are really red flags um, yeah. that that child may be sex, being sexually abused. Look at how they interact with other people. Or is there fear when someone enters the room? I mean, you've just got to be really intuitive. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you, um, as I said, I'll say it again, 93% of the time, it's someone you know, love and trust. Yeah. So you trust the person that walked in the room, but the child may not trust the person that walked in the room. So yeah. and just honor your child's voice, honor that. No, I don't want to go to that person's house or no, I don't want them to babysit or no, you know, honor that child's um, voice um, in a, in a way that, okay, I need to ask more questions. I need to find out more and, and simply ask, has anyone ever made you feel uncomfortable? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is anybody feel afraid? Has anybody ever shown you pictures of nudity? Has anybody ever tried to touch your private parts? What are your private parts, parts that a bathing suit covers? Yeah. So we aren't having these conversations enough and we're not asking. So as, a, as an adult, if you have a friend or someone in your family that is really dealing with um, some disorders, if they're dealing with eating disorders, um, addiction disorders, um, PTSD, bipolar, um, all of these are just kind of manifestations of um, repressed trauma that not dealt with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's a couple things I'm thinking just on what you've shared both about adults and children. Um, this is something that the retired detective Heidi Chance was talking about is how a lot of times these traffickers, yeah, they groom you and they make you think, oh, like you're my girl. This is only going to be for a short while or, you know, just little things start to happen. Um, and they make you think it's a short term thing or it's not, you know, they don't tell it how it is. It's it's it was very subliminally. Time, I got a friend he needs a little cheering up. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Two, three, four, five friends that would have let, you know, I, I was on this, I was at a fork in the road and praise God, I just left. I can only imagine had I stayed, had, yep. had I stayed. What the next steps of that might have been. Yeah, absolutely. And then with the children, as I was listening to you talk about some of these symptoms, I was thinking how hard that is to identify today because so many of the kids are depressed or, you know, suicidal or have these kind of issues. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with the sexual abuse. Um, It's just like a very depressed, troubled generation. Um, But you can't rule that out, you know, as an option. No, you can start to investigate yourself. You know, if you hear no, 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 well, you know what you can put a baby monitor in the basement when they're alone with their cousin playing video games I mean there are things that you can Mm. do to really find out what's going on you can come back home unexpectedly when they're with a babysitter yeah there are a lot of things that you can do oh my gosh yeah you talked about popping in you know like how how many times we leave our I don't have a kid yet, but I I told you before we started recording, my husband and I are pregnant and we're having a little girl. So as I'm watching these interviews, I'm I'm crying and I'm just thinking about how to be proactive with these things. And um, yeah, you said how, you know, we leave our kids in so many situations, be it piano lessons or tutoring or, you know, these different environments where something could happen and how, yeah, we should pop in from time to time and not be too careful. Or that works with thousands of survivors thousands over the years yeah. and heard so many different stories of how it's happened. Um, one story was piano lessons, you know, uh, they were uh, in the living room doing piano and mom would go to the basement and do laundry while piano lessons were going on. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The piano teacher was playing 
while he was having the child perform oral sex on it. Oh my gosh. God this, forbid. It happens in so many different ways, but yeah. um, I pray that we just can train up a vigilant society that can leave and say, guess what? I'm trained in child sexual abuse prevention and so is my child. So yes. if you try anything with them, they're going to tell me. Yeah. Tell us, tell us about that, that book. Oh, tell us about that book. This yes. is tough. This is tough talk to tender hearts. Okay. And this helps layer. It helps teach you how to layer these conversations throughout a child's life. It's an easy read. It's not a, it's not a big, thick book. I've got some pictures to guide you along, but it, it really helps you to, like I said, understand signs and symptoms, understand how to take a disclosure, understand what a child advocacy center is, understand mm-hmm. that, that you're responsible for your child's safety. And this is a big part of their safety safety. So tough talk to tender hearts. It's written on a sixth grade uh, education level. Anybody can read it. Anybody can apply. You know, you tell your child this from like two to four, you tell them something else from five to six, and you just layer more, more depth as they're mature enough to receive it. But the first thing you start with is helping them understand the anatomical names of their body parts. Yes. Because if they can't tell you that their vagina was touched in a court of law and they call it a pocketbook, well, guess what? That's going to be dismissed mm. because nowhere is it called a pocketbook? It's called a vagina. Yeah. So sorry, I've said that on your show. but <laughs> No, thank you so much. You said starting at age two, teaching them yeah, so this is parts. a great book too. This is called The Grooming Mystery. And our um, viewers, um, please go to my website. Go to angelasvoice.com slash resources. And there are 14 books similar to this that would help you educate. But The Grooming Mystery is what is a perpetrator? What's their MO? Like, okay. So you can begin to identify it in your life. But there, like I said, there are 14 books there. And lots of great information to help you um, navigate this. Because I know it's not easy. I raised two kids. It's not easy. And they're bombarded with sex and sexual content from, from all areas. Be oh, it yeah. the TV, the music. The, it's everywhere. Everywhere. So, so you've got be- books for parents and you've got books for kids. Yes, I do. So here's my children's series. So what I've actually done, I call it a curriculum, but it's really an activity book. So you can do the find your voice activities with your child and the activities um, are correlate to the book. So Gracie finds her voice is all about helping your child understand the power of their voice and the detriment of a secret. So in our house, we don't keep secrets. We keep surprises. So what's the difference between a secret and a surprise? Um, Grant gets his shield. It's all about personal boundaries. What is a personal boundary? Um, And giving your your child permission that they can reject or accept affection as they want to. They don't have Mm -hmm. to be forced. Um, and they have space around them that they can protect and invite people in or reject people to, to leave. And Gracie and Grant's big win is all about self-confidence and that little voice inside you that kind of tells you when something's right and something's wrong. And then the Find Your Voice, like I said, it's a great curriculum. If you don't want to buy the books, I've actually given you a QR code that would give you a PowerPoint of all the books. Um, and it's right here in the front. So oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So these are all available anywhere books are sold. Most people now get books from Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And but you can go to your local bookstore and order them also. And then can we talk about my latest book? Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> so this book has just been released in September. And I'm so excited to um, share with you that it's been number one on new releases on Amazon for wow. like two weeks. Um, now I think it's still in the top 100. But Loving Me After Abuse. 
I wrote this book as kind of my final frontier. And I really feel like um, survivors need to learn how to love themselves because mm. you hear the words of the abuser of how horrible you are of a person and you carry the shame of the abuse on you. So loving me after abuse is to learn how to love yourself as Christ Jesus loves you and to really receive that love on the inside. And it's sort of my journey, kind of um, my first memoir, this is 2.0, where it kind of takes you to that kind of final frontier where I can look in the mirror now and say, oh, this is good. Okay. I got a few flaws, but you know what? It's a good work in progress. So it's like the sequel to the uh, Sorrows. um, Yes. So Loving Me After Abuse. Okay. That sounds so good. Oh, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I definitely know that I need to get your books. Um, I I feel like it would be helpful, A, for my healing and my continued inspiration. So thank you so much for just all of your wisdom and, and being here with us today. Oh, it has been an honor and a pleasure. And if any of your viewers need to reach out, they can just go to angelosvoice.com. And there's lots of information, lots of media interviews. Um, I would love to come into your community or your church to speak and share some. Absolutely. Yeah, I was watching those interviews and you are excellent at what you do and public speaking. And yes, I highly recommend. Um, Angela, just one more thing too, uh, something we often do at the end of our show is we have the guest pray us out. Um, so I was wondering if you'd be willing to pray for the listeners and specifically those who have went through this kind of, you know, similar trauma and are maybe in their healing journey now too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, how wonderful it is to uh, be able to bow before you and know that You are a God who's on the throne that loves us. And Father, there is evil in this world, but it was never your will for us to be wounded, for us to be hurt as little children. So for our listeners, if you are are a survivor of abuse, I just speak to that little girl and that little boy inside of you. And I just pray right now that you um, you would have compassion and you would have love, and you would have um, a heart to help that little boy or that little girl heal. So Mm -hmm. you can come into the full person that God created you to be. So you can walk this journey of life with peace and with joy and with resolve and with resilience. So God, right now, I just speak to, um, to those hearts that are wounded, and I just speak healing over them in the name of Jesus. I pray that they find you, Lord. I pray that if they never have known you, that they just call you on your name. Mm-hmm. Just say, Jesus, come and Jesus, help me. And I know that you will be there in this moment. So, Father, we just lift up our listeners and we just thank you, God, that they have survived and that they are yeah. on their way to thrive. And we just claim that and we speak that over them in the name of Jesus. And I speak peace and joy. And I thank you for Michaela and I thank you for her kingdom work. And I thank you for her little one that's on the way. And I just Mm. speak hope and happiness over her. And I just thank you for this precious relationship that we've made today. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to have you leave a review and share it with a friend. All information on how to stay connected with the Raised and Redeemed podcast can be found in the show notes below. Until next time, stay well and God bless you.